get your car washed because it's probably dirty right now. Whether it's you know washing all the germs out, you want to get obviously the germs out of your car, but also you want it to look really nice. Go to Tommy's Express Car Wash. It's wash, rinse, repeat with Tommy's. And guess what? They have an app. It's the Tommy Club app. So download it. I know you have a smartphone, so you're going to be able to download apps. You don't have a flip phone if you're listening to this podcast. I'm just assuming that. And if you do, more power to you. But if you do, then you're missing out on this great deal. Because if you download the Tommy Club app today, you're going to enjoy endless washing for one low price. Endless washing for one low price at Tommy's Express Car Wash. That's unlimited car washes, unlimited clean, shiny, and dry. Unlimited use of exclusive app lane at Tommy's. Unlimited access to all the Tommy's locations. And there are a lot of them. Unlimited guest service. Most importantly, unlimited happiness. That's a Tommy's Express Car Wash. things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. F*** that. You don't got time for that All right? Let's go. Crank it. Crank it. Let it cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. What's going on? Welcome in to another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk. I'm Derek Johnson, Richie Boswell back in studio. I'm actually live out at Jefferson's West right now. They are doing a special deal where... 25% of your proceeds are going to the Rock Chalk Round Ball Classic, which helps with families whose children are undergoing awful medical diseases that pile up the medical bills and really put some of those families in a bind. So we're helping them out, as always, with the Rock Chalk Round Ball Classic. 25% of your proceeds at Jefferson's, that's the downtown or the west location, 25% goes to the Rock Chalk Round Ball Classic, and it's 50-cent wing day here, so you can really pile up on a lot of wings. You can feed your whole family. You know, if you have a family of four, you can get 40 wings for 20 bucks, and then 25% of that goes to the Rock Chalk Round Ball Classic. So swing by one of the Jeffersons. If you want to swing by here at Jefferson's West, we have a couple RCST T-shirts, some hats, some koozies that we can give away, limited amount, so you're going to have to come by. Um, We're also going to have some special guests join the show. I believe Brian's going to be with us. Uh, sometime in the 4 o'clock hour, we're going to talk with Cole Aldridge at 4.30. We might have another special guest. We've also got Jesse Newell of the Kansas City Star joining us in about 35 minutes from right now. And in about 8 minutes from right now, we're going to talk with Ron Kellogg. I'm really excited to talk to Ron Kellogg, one of the best shooters in KU basketball history. And I'm not sure he gets the pub for that that he might deserve. And part of the issue, he was in the game before... The uh, three-point line came around, I believe, at least in the Big 12, but a guy who was as good of a shooter as any. I think there's a Bill Self old story that when they were in practice every day, they would do about a five-minute shooting drill where he would take shots from the elbows, and you would just kind of rapid fire. I'm, I'm sure you would run to one elbow, shoot, run to the other elbow, shoot, and it's just back and forth for five minutes. And I think Bill Self said it took like three or four days before he actually missed a shot. Absolutely incredible. So we'll talk with Ron Kellogg coming up here in about eight minutes or so. Um, Some 
more the latest on college football and Big 12 realignment. Bob Bowlesby obviously met with George Klyovkov yesterday. And think about this. They met for six hours yesterday talking between the Big 12 and Pac-12. I mean, that is a long time to meet with someone. I honestly, I, I was trying to think back to this. I don't think that I have ever just hung out with someone for six hours in a situation that, like, it's one thing if you're hanging out with somebody and doing something for six hours, right? Like, if you're watching uh, football all day on a Sunday, or if you're, like, playing games, or if you're at a bar and you're having a drink with some friends, or if you're, like, playing a sport with friends or something, like, there's always something else going going on, even if you have, like, you know a trip with some of your friends and you're hanging out with them for a week straight or a weekend straight, you're doing other stuff. You're not just sitting there across the table for six hours and just talking to each other for six hours. You're doing some of that other stuff. That's a really long time to just talk. So I wonder what all went into that. I wonder if they're just best friends, if they're best buds now, and that might not be the worst thing in the world for the big 12. Um, apparently Dennis Dodd of CBS sports wrote in his piece, kind of talking about this and talking about, you know, USC seems to be the last big chip available because Ohio State and Michigan seem content with the Big Ten. Texas and Oklahoma already off to the SEC. Notre Dame seems content being a free agent. That would leave USC as the big kind of quote-unquote college football blue blood that is still available. And they've made some comments that make it sound a little cryptic as if to say, hey, Pac-12, you messed this up. We're probably going, but that might be just reading between the lines. But in that piece... Dennis Dodd goes into the fact that, according to different industry sources, he doesn't believe any combination of Big 12 teams is going to move the needle for the Pac-12. And I think what that leads you to believe is if there is some sort of partnership between the Big 12 and the Pac-12, it won't be a merger. It won't be the Pac-12 bringing on these different conference schools. It will be more of a scheduling alliance that we've heard about, the idea of, hey, instead of you coming up with your three non-conference games and KU playing against Duke or Coastal Carolina and Oklahoma State playing against Tulsa and TCU playing against Texas State or whoever, we're going to make you guys play another Pac-12 university. We're going to have TCU play USC. We're going to have Oklahoma State play Oregon. We're going to have Iowa State face off against UCLA. And... The idea there is that you can try to come up with compelling matchups each and every year. You don't schedule the matchups till that offseason. You just have a week slated to be this is Big 12, Pac-12 week. And it would be similar to how it occurs in college basketball with the Big 12 SEC showdown. And usually that last week of January, you're able to get you know college game day there. And there's some big TV rights involved with ESPN. That's not going to offset losing Texas and Oklahoma for in terms of how much money Big 12 teams are making, but if it adds a couple million to the ledger for each school, it's obviously a nice boon to the possible backup situation, which, again, I still think option one for KU is join the Big 10. Option two is probably the ACC in terms of if you have that ability. Option three, I guess, join the Pac-12, and option four is stick around in the Big 12 and hope that Something like this happens to add to the revenue, and then option five is moving on to the American or Mountain West or whatever. That is a positive, but definitely would not be uh, what you wanted because I think it would be probably better for the Big 12 in terms of just sustenance in 
figuring out a way to merge together if that were on the table. But, of course, we have the KU Big Ten rumor that came around last night, Mike Vernon on Sports Radio 610, basically saying that this message board rumor that's going around about KU to the Big Ten, I kind of looked into it a little more, and it's not official, it's not imminent, it's not necessarily going to happen, but there might be a little more legs to it, there might be a little more smoke to the fire. And, again, I, I said this yesterday, I don't know if it really means anything right now. It's going to be a long process, and certainly you can talk to different people and hear different things, but also keep this in mind. Connor Mitchell, um, who works for the uh, Lawrence, Kansas Times, he put this out yesterday on social media. He said, for what it's worth, and things can obviously change, the Kansas Board of Regents told me yesterday they've received no communication from anyone at KU or K-State regarding conference realignment. Board policy changed in March to require that for a Kansas Board of Regents school to even begin negotiations to change athletic conferences, they must first get permission of the chair and CEO. So that would make you think that, hey, let's put the brakes on here. But also, counterpoint to that, like, we know Texas and Oklahoma were doing this in the shadows, and it would behoove Kansas to, if they are talking to other conferences, do it in the shadows because of, A, not wanting to potentially break up the Big 12. Like, what happens if you can't get into the Big 10 or ACC? You still want the Big 12 to be around, and there is kind of your backup plan. And also, you don't want something happening like what happened with Texas, where all of a sudden you had Texas A&M coming out, trying to basically nix that occurring because they found out about it. So that doesn't necessarily mean they wouldn't have ways of working around that. Maybe they just hadn't begun negotiations to join the conference. They had just reached out and just said, hey, is there any interest? Let's gauge interest, Uh, things like that. But who knows? Rumors are rumors. If we have anything more concrete, we'll talk about it. But certainly it's some juicy stuff. All right, we're going to talk with Ron Kellogg former KU All-Big 8 guard, formerly known as Special K. He's going to join us on the other side. Joined now by a member of the Rock Chalk Roundball Classic. He's going to be playing tomorrow night, and you can still get your tickets out at 23rd Street Brewery in Lawrence or at Johnny's, the Topeka location. But Ron Kellogg, who is going to be a member of the uh, Blue Team, I believe, or that's yes, correct. that's correct, the Blue Team, um, so Ron, well, how's the shot looking nowadays? You feeling good for tomorrow night? I feel great. Uh, I've been working hard to, for this opportunity. I want to make up from the last time I played, I think three years ago, I didn't hit a shot, but mm. this time I'm ready. Okay. So what's, what's the over under for points tomorrow night for Ron Kellogg? I'm going to start my, my, my goal is to start. So I'm hoping Calvin Thompson will give a little seniority to the senior man because I still can play with the young boys. Well, I'll say this. I mean, it has to help that you played together with uh, your coach, Calvin Pony Thompson. I mean, are, are you able to kind of have a better uh, better ear of the coach than maybe some of these other players? Are you going to be able to, to kind of massage him into running the offense around you? No, I don't think I have to do that with Calvin. Calvin, <laughs> Calvin knows my mentality. He knows I, uh, my number one goal is to have a good warm-up. If I have a good warm-up, I'm ready to go. And obviously you played at KU, I believe, before the three-point line was instituted, at least in, in Big 12 play. How many more points do you think you would have had had there been the three-point line? Um, I think I probably would have 
score a pony probably about two or three points, you know, but Calvin started his freshman year and I, I came in my last, my junior senior year and, and really put up some big numbers. Is there a, a moment in time that you can remember being the most in the zone as the shooter, like the hottest you've ever been? Yes, I remember those days. Um, there were great days. Um, you know, you just have to stay focused. Um, we practiced those, uh, those shots every day in practice at that time, and I just was just focused on my shot. But once Coach Brown pumped his arms and gave me that fire in his eye and put it inside me, that lit me up. So I was ready to go. Do you ever, I, I don't know if you counted something like this, but did you ever, like, keep track of what the most shots in a row you made or something in practice was? Um. I know I made I made over a hundred free throws um, a few times, but uh, as far as I'm um, from the elbow, I love shooting from the elbow. You know that's one of my sweet spots, and that's something we always did was five minutes shooting. So um, I just stay focused and same pocket, same shot. And a uh, lefty shooter, which I think it always just looks better coming out of a. Le- I don't know why. What is it about left-handers that just make the jump shot look so pure? Um, it's just, uh, it's the opposite side of the body and, you know, you know, I, my jump shot was pretty nice back in the day, but you should see it now. It's even better. I even make mm. the ball roll, roll back to me, wherever I'm at, it'll roll right back to me. It's just like so a you said, ball, but it's a basketball. So it's even better right now. I mean, I think at halftime, we should try to implore Brian to do a quick game of eh, horse might be too long. We do a game of pig. Or, or something like that. I feel like you might be the favorite in that situation because that's not having to worry about running around, guarding the other guy. You can just sit there and hit shots, and I think you're up there with anybody then. This is true, and that, and I can also run around with the guys and, and D them up if I have to. So they, they better be ready because I've got something for them. It's not the same I, Ron Kellogg. This is a totally different man. Oh, I love this. I absolutely love this. Me and, uh, and some of the guys back at the studio, I'm going to – we're going to do a draft tomorrow with uh, who's going to score points and everything. And I'll tell you what, right. you are quickly rising up the, the the mock draft board, so to speak. I appreciate it because that's where I belong. I can't wait to play <laughs> um, with Devontae Graham. Um, he's our point guard. And um, we're going to play together. We're going to work hard together. I can't wait to see him play in a New Orleans Pelican uniform. All right, I've been told that you were most famous for having your best game specifically on Saturdays. So how is, is that going to work out for a Thursday night game? <laughs> I'm just going <laughs> to pretend it's Saturday then. <laughs> <laughs> but every day, every day is a good day. You know, um, it doesn't matter. Just at that time of era, you know, it was on national TV. And like I said, I, I wouldn't have done it without my teammates and, and the coaching staff and especially Coach Larry Brown because he knows how to motivate you. He knows how to get you going. Uh, I'm so happy he's back in the game coaching, and I, I can't wait to see what uh, Memphis does. Yeah, pretty crazy that, you know, 40 years later he's still uh, coming around in the game. Do you have any any funny or, or good Larry Brown stories? Um, well, yeah, sure. I was late for practice, his very first practice. Um, I was probably 30 minutes late, and I snuck in. I thought I was getting away. The, the fellas was out stretching. Calvin Thompson reminded me, Ronnie, Ronnie, he's whistling at you. I said, he is? He said, yeah. He said, Coach Brown said, hey, get out of my gym. I was like, who's he talking to? <laughs> he said, he's talking to you. So, you know, that changed my whole life, my whole motivation about being on time, you know, 
being on time for work and just be ready to be ready to work, give in work. I have a uh, a Nebraska fan texting me, Craig Hershiser, who is mentioning that some of your best games were against Nebraska your junior and senior years. Um, so I don't know if you want to apologize to him, but, uh, being from <laughs> Omaha, Nebraska, did you take kind of, uh, I don't know, maybe something extra personal into those games? Um, I did. Yeah. Um, it's cause it's your home state and, you know, and you have to prove yourself cause you're being booed. Um, and you have to prove that you can play no matter what kind of distractions people are throwing at you. And I just kind of limited everything out and just, I just played our game within our system, you know, um, we're a system team, you know. Um, I know how to play in a system, and once you run your system and the strategies the coaches put out there, you can perform. We're talking with Ron Kellogg, former All Big Eight guard for the uh, for Jayhawks in the '80s. Your nickname was Special K, so I I yes. think that if you would have been around today during name, image, and likeness that has now passed over the summer, you would have probably made a pretty good penny. This is true, but, you know, I, I like Snap, Crackle, Pop better than Special K because <laughs> the Snap, Crackle, Pop is no joke. <laughs> well, maybe we can uh, maybe we can still get you something there with, with the old Rice Krispies. Uh, who was the best player that you ever played with over the course of your basketball career? Um, well, of course, my teammates, Calvin Thompson, you know, Danny Manny, Greg Drawling, Cedric Hunter, um, Archie Marshall, we had a um, we had a very good team. So we had some of those good players. Also, Lynn Bias, um, um, rest in peace, Lynn Bias, um, and a few other teams out there. You know, um, of course, you know M- Michael Jordan was in that era. He left a year before. You know, I I could have had left. And then you got Charles Barkley, Chuck Person. They had a lot of good players in that era. Uh, Danny Manning, obviously known as one of the best, if not the best Jayhawks of all time. What was it like playing with him? It was, it was amazing because him being 6'11", being unselfish, um, he had charisma, he had style, he had finesse, um, he was courageous, um, and he encouraged us to do the best we could. Um, it was a, it was a blessing, um, playing against Danny Manning, playing with Danny Manning, and also playing against him in practice. I feel like that 1986 Kansas team that you were on your final season that goes to the final four, you know, whenever there's the conversations of best KU teams of all time, people throw out the 97 team with Paul Pierce and the 02 team with Nick Collison and Kirk Heinrich and Drew Gooden, and the 08 team that won the title. But I mean, if you look at the 1986 team, you got Danny Manning, you got yourself, Greg Dryling, Cedric Hunter, um, Calvin Pony Thompson. That team went thirty-five and four. I feel like that team should be brought up among the best in school history. Yes, we should be brought up in school history. Um, we set the precedent for Kansas University, and look how much um, Kansas has improved. Um, it's a big-name school. I'm so proud that uh, I'm a part of Kansas University. You know, it hurts me when I see them and they're in the tournament and they're losing, they're not winning because I know that they're better than that. Um, sometimes people always say, Ronnie, you should be out there um, shooting with the guys. I said, no, I should be there teaching the kids how to shoot the basketball so we can continue to keep going to the Final Four and win national championships. That's our goal. That's where we should always be all the time. Well, and you had quite the game in that Final Four for KU. I know it ended up being a loss, and I'm sure that was 
a real tough one. But you went 11 of 15 in that game in the Final Four. Is there a specific game that sticks out to you the most in your career? Yes, um, I had several. Um, I know um, we played against Memphis State at the time at home, and um, I had a pretty good game. And then I had a learning lesson from that game from Coach Larry Brown that um, I needed a new time and score. I got caught up in the score instead of the time of the of the game, so I learned my lesson from that. Um, playing against Nebraska, obviously back at home in Lincoln, Nebraska, being around my family and friends, that was that was an exciting game. And the, and the team playing well that day, so there, there's several games out there. Well, I'm excited for tomorrow to see you. Um, I'm I'm gonna say it. I'm gonna say you're gonna hit at least two threes, and I think that might be underselling it. I wouldn't be surprised if you come out there. I think we had uh, Billy Thomas a couple years ago come up with a three three pointer nine game. I, I could see yeah. you doing that, and I think you might be the difference in a game that a lot of years has been really close. So uh, we'll see if if Calvin Pony Thompson is is ready to unleash you, and we'll see if the other coach Greg Dryling has anything specifically planned for you because that's another one of your former teammates <laughs> big Greg, yeah that's big Greg Dryland. i miss him i miss all my teammates um i'm so happy the good thing about me now is um i didn't really know how to create a shot back in the day i always came off of screens double screens single screens but right now i got handles and i can create my own shot off the three could you come up with a mount rushmore of best shooters in KU basketball history of all time. And I'll put you on there. So who are the other three? Well, you got definitely Paul Pierce, Billy Thompson. Um, there's a kid that uh, he, I can't think of his name, but he was short and he had, he, I think he, he's the leader in three-point shooting or he had made the most three-pointers. He's pretty good. You got Reed that's pretty good. He's a pretty good shooter. So many great shooters there. Calvin Thompson. You know, even even great, um, not great drowning, but uh, Danny Manning was a good shooter. Um, Milton Newton was a pretty good shooter. Um, Mark Turgeon, Tab Boyle, um, the list goes on and on. Awesome. Well, that is Ron Kellogg. We're excited to see him tomorrow. Ron, thank you so much for taking some time out of your day and talking with me me on the phone. And uh, we're looking forward to seeing you at Free State High tomorrow night. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Yesterday was just a blow up on social media about KU and the Big Ten and just kind of a rumor floating around there. Uh, Let's just say, Jesse, you were in charge of a sports book about what conference KU is going to be a part of by the year 2025. How would you kind of peg the odds around that? What's the favorite? Is it still the Big 12? Is it the Big Ten now? How, How would you kind of go through the odds of where KU might end up? Yeah, you can you can usually bet on these things, right? I wish that some sports would come out and do that, right? And make it a lot easier on the rest of us, and we can uh, really handicap the chances here. You know, it's it's so early, and I mean, obviously, it's it's the talking point for everyone here. Uh, what's going to happen? And when you get schools like KU and K State, there is at least some worry that you, you could be left out in the cold, and that's why this thing remains a topic and will be until the whole thing is resolved. But you know, I, I don't know. I mean, you hear a lot of things right now. Uh, just being honest with you, Derek, you hear a lot of things. There's a lot of whispers. Um, you know, if you just think about it logically, there's reasons for the Big Ten to like some things like Kansas, and there's reasons for the Big Ten to think, why add anybody right now? And so, uh, you know, I've heard from people that, that think there are legs to the Big Ten thing, and I've heard from people that think there aren't, there aren't legs to the Big Ten thing. And uh, it remains so early in this process. The problem here is that Oklahoma and Texas, this thing, 
you know, got revealed and then basically decided within a week happened so quickly. And now everybody's sort of reacting in their own timeline, in their own way. And, and that is probably going to take uh, the course of a, a few weeks or a few months. I would be very surprised if, if something like that moved forward happened very quickly. Again, I've been surprised before, but it just seems to me like this next step with all these other schools, all these other conferences, is going to take a little longer than everybody sort of adjust to the reaction of what happened to Oklahoma and Texas. So, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I think, honestly, you would split it up a lot of different ways, and that's, that's the position Kansas is in. That's what makes it sort of fascinating, right? I mean, Kansas is centrally located. It doesn't have a good football program at this moment. It has an amazing basketball program with amazing tradition. It's an AAU, AAU university and, and brings in decent revenue. So all those things, along with it being centrally located, means that it could go a lot of different places, and that adds to the intrigue of, of what might happen with Kansas moving forward. So, yeah, I mean, you would probably split up a lot of places. You'd probably say uh, Pac-12, Big Ten, you know, Big 12 remaining, um, smaller slice, probably AAC and ACC, but the fact that all those options are on the table means that it's going to be a talking point here for quite a while. If I gave you remaining in the Big 12 or being in the AAC versus the field, what would you take? Uh, yeah, <laughs> I would probably take the field, right? Um, I I see that as a fallback option right now if you are those eight schools. And it makes some sense to be universally together, if you will, to stay solidified. Because if you are talking to the Pac-12, if you are talking to whoever with a merger, if you are trying to add schools, that's all great if Bob Bowles, he has that power to go to those conferences and say, hey, I have these eight college presidents and these eight ADs behind me that all are unified in that particular thing. But really, it only takes one school, right, a Kansas, an Oklahoma State, a Baylor. I mean, one of these schools to go look out for their best interests and say, yeah, that's, that's nice in theory, but we're actually going to go out here and go grab our own Power Five conference and not worry about the rest and not be – holding our breath throughout the course of the rest of these next few years to wonder what's going to happen. So um, I, I guess I would take the field on that just because well, we're not just talking about, you know, Kansas potentially waiting around and staying unified with these, you know, the other seven schools and, and seeing what happens. We're talking about other schools potentially as well, being able to throw this in the tailspin if they go out and, and grab their own conference affiliation by the horns and, and do their own thing there. So probably I would say less than 50% on that. But again, I'm, I'm speculating like the rest of us, it's, it's, I've said this before. It's like trying to, to pick the weather. Uh, how how high is the temperature going to be on October 12th? Well, <laughs> you know, it's, it's really tough. We don't know what the temperature is going to be like on October 5th yet. We don't know what it's going to be like on August 25th yet. So um, to try to kind of foresee events that are going to be reactionary to other events that haven't taken place yet, it's really difficult. But listen, I understand why it's a talking point because it's very, 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 very important when it comes to these other schools to try to latch on to conference affiliation and remain relevant in today's college landscape. Well, forget about the prediction stuff. Just in terms of what the best option for KU would be. Uh, would it be the Big Ten or ACC? Or have things shifted enough with the Big 12 maybe talking with the Pac-12 about a merger? Or the Big 12 maybe picking off AAC teams to make you think that maybe the Big Ten or ACC isn't the best option anymore? Oh, I think Big Ten is is far and away the best option. Uh, you know, you remain with schools that are somewhat close to you. You're uh, remaining a lot in the central time zone. Obviously, the Big Ten has had great basketball lately. Okay, you would fit right in with that. You know, we had some of this AAU talk. Who knows how much that plays into a year that it is, that it isn't, you know, the, the academic side of this. So um, we'll see. But, you know, to me, that's, that's the slam dunk home run. The, the problem for Kansas, I think, with this is 
what does the Big Ten want to do? I mean, does it make sense for the Big Ten to say, come on, Kansas, come on, Iowa State, we want to strengthen them that way? Or do they feel pretty good about what they have so far and not as concerned as much about what Kansas or Iowa State potentially could bring to the conference, if that's anything at all? But, you know, I, I think a lot of times, too, you kind of circle back and uh, maybe at other schools, it might not be like this, but at Kansas, um, Bill Self means a lot. You know, the guy has a lifetime contract. He's been mostly what has gone right for Kansas in the last 17 or 18 years when it comes to KU Athletics and the whole program. And a lot of times he's been the face of the program, the face of the university, and been the spokesman for it, too. So I guess if you're looking through Bill Self's eyes, and, and he doesn't get to make all the decisions, obviously, but he is uh, going to be a major part of this, you would think, based off of um, the respect that KU has shown him so far, I would think the Pac-12 could be an attractive option, right? I mean, um, the, the basketball isn't horrible there. You can have an alliance uh, a little bit with the scheduling. You would remain in a, a solid Power 5 foundation. Uh, you would have some West Coast games, but obviously the Pac-12, you could, if you're them, you could get some more centrally uh, central time zone games, which would uh, more broadcast you to the rest of the nation. That's kind of the big gripe of the Pac-12 is that all those games are late. Nobody gets to see them. You know, if you had the scheduling alliance or a, a conference alliance uh, sort of thing, then maybe that could be resolved a little bit. So, yeah, if you're looking at what would Bill Self like, I, I mean, I, I think obviously the Big Ten is the slam dunk home run. That would be the perfect world for Kansas. But after that, some sort of Pac-12 thing would probably be good. A- a- ACC would be tricky with the time zones and having to fly and kind of probably feel like West Virginia does in the Big 12 where you're the one that's traveling all the time. So not perfect, but, um, yeah, there probably aren't any completely perfect options if you pass the uh, Big 10. And, and KU's been in the Big 12 so long and gotten comfortable with that. Um, you know, it's a new world out there, so they kind of have to stick with the options and see what they thought was that. I would just imagine, though, if – and this applies for, for Kansas and the other schools remaining in the Big 12 – if you're going to leave the conference, like if it got announced tomorrow that West Virginia is going to the ACC, they're probably going to be in the same boat as Texas and Oklahoma still, right? Where, okay, well, we're going there, but we're going to have to wait till 2025 as well, or we're going to have to pay a big buyout. Yeah, and that's, again, you're talking about great questions and great things that, that's what I'm talking about when you're trying to predict the weather on October 25th. That one singular event, whether Texas and Oklahoma are going to have their feet held to the fire and have to stick this thing out through that period of time or whether they can get out of this thing a lot quicker, that's going to impact a lot of this stuff as well. And a lot of the landscape around this and whether conferences are going to be aggressive going after teams or not as aggressive going after teams. So um, that's a good point. It's one well taken. And, again, that's, that's sort of uh, the, the, the unknowable at this point. I mean, that's, that's why these things, it's, it's so delicate. It does hang in the balance. And there is a world out there. There's a scenario out there where Kansas – has to go to a non-Power 5, you know, conference. And that's not where anybody wants to be, obviously. And then there's, you know, some others out there where obviously that same thing could apply for Kansas State or Iowa State or Oklahoma State or Baylor. And so uh, that's where the concern comes from. That's why fans care so much about it, because they want to remain relevant in, in that particular way with their university. But I, I just, I'll I repeat it like I said before, I, all this happened so quickly. I mean, we were at Big 12 Media Days a couple of weeks ago where Bob Bowlesby was asked about conference alignment and talked about how it basically wasn't happening and everybody was on solid footing. And literally, whatever, <laughs> two weeks later, Oklahoma and Texas are out of the Big 12. So that thing happened so quickly. I just, I don't see this, in, I don't envision this happening as quickly, the, the response to that. Like, the earthquake happened, the ramifications and the aftershocks after that is probably going to take a while. So uh, we'll see what happens, and we'll, we'll see how this all plays out. Um, there are events that could speed things up, but as of right now, I think everybody's sort of expecting this to all take place immediately, and I think it's going to be a little bit more of a slow burn than that. If the Big 12 did add teams, 
that would, to me, signal that maybe they are interested in trying to stay together long-term because you wouldn't be adding teams for the short-term. If you add teams in the short-term, we already know ESPN ain't renegotiating that deal. And if you add more teams, that just means a smaller slice of pie for everybody in the Big 12, at least to 2025. Now, maybe that helps the long-term viability of the league, but I would just think that that might be the biggest signal of what the plan is for the Big 12. Because, I mean, you have the comment from a day ago of Bob Bowlesby at the Texas Senate hearing saying, we believe that eight of us staying together is the best approach in the near term. And I view those last two words as being the most important there, the near term. It feels like to me that this is just, hey, let's stick together through 2025. We're going to take all of the Big 12 money that we can before we wind up somewhere else. Because if we do end up in one of those smaller conferences – Maybe we won't be getting that money, and it might be nice to grab as much of that as we possibly can before we have to go. So is that the signal that you're looking for? If the Big 12 actually does add teams, it would be a clear indication that they want long-term success here because that would mean a short-term loss for a long-term gain? Well, yeah, and you're looking at two different parties here. I mean, Bob Bowlesby is trying to save his job. Like, if the Big 12 doesn't exist, Bob Bowlesby doesn't have a job. You know what I'm saying? And so... Kansas in this sort of is in a tricky spot because, yeah, there's a potential there that the very best outcome for Kansas, let's say the Big Ten's not interested, the Pac-12 says that they don't want it, the ACC says we don't want any more members either, there is a potential that the very best option for Kansas could be to stick in the Big 12, to remain there without OU in Texas, to have them add schools and, and have that remain a viable Power 5 conference. So Kansas sort of needs to, you know, continue to, play nice in the interim, you know, uh, remain solid, at least in a public setting with those schools, because there's a potential they might need that option. At the same time, you know, when that conversation with Bob Bolsby hangs up, they've also looked out for themselves, which is what I guarantee you Oklahoma's doing, or Oklahoma State's doing, what Baylor's doing, what all these other schools are doing, and sniffing around and saying, hey, if you want me, uh, you know, Big Ten, take me. Let's go. Let's, let's, let's sign this thing up. I'm ready to go. So it's a tricky spot for Kansas, and so what you're talking about is conference liability. And so, of course, the conference is going to do this. And Bob, Bob Bowlesby having it leaked out that he was talking to the Pac-12 is a very smart move on his part because he doesn't want to be seen as a leader who's sitting there on his hands and, and doing nothing when this whole thing could be falling apart. It's a very wise PR move to say, hey, I'm being proactive. I'm, I'm talking to other conferences. I'm seeing if there can be an alliance here, those sorts of things. But like I said, for Kansas, it's, it's a very delicate spot to be in because they sort of have to keep their options open. And so to do that, you sort of have to say the nice things to the Big 12 or at least remain engaged with that while also behind the scenes going out and seeing where potentially you could land and then exploring every avenue there. Because, again, at the end of the day, it's every man for himself. So this 18 unified thing can sound great in theory and potentially could help these teams out if nothing else opens up. At the same time, these schools have got to, to go out there and investigate what might be best for them, and I'm sure Kansas is in that spot right now. Talking with Jesse Newell of the Kansas City Star for a few more minutes here. Obviously, yesterday you had the rumor kind of floated around that was brought to light, Mike Vernon going on 610 Sports Radio, and then you had the opposite of that. Uh, it's kind of felt like the charge was being led by Stuart Mandel, and it feels like you're developing two sides of it. You have the KU fans arguing, well, our revenue is this good. We have the brand. We have the academics to get into the Big Ten. And then you have the other side of it, guys like Stuart Mandel pointing out that, you know, the football is so bad and they're not going to add anything from a viewership standpoint. So I guess how much of the decision from the different conferences do you think just comes down to football and TV viewership? 
versus all those other things like basketball, brand, revenue, academics, and so forth? Well, I mean, that's obviously the argument is probably something that's more discussed with college presidents um, than it is athletic directors, and they probably have more of a say in this than we give them credit for when all this rolls around again. But, I mean, I guess I would tell you, Derek, the, the, the proof is probably in the pudding, right? I mean, Oklahoma and Texas were very attractive to the SEC, and they signed up very quickly, and they are going to go there. And what's the reason for that? <laughs> you know, I mean, like, out of all those things you mentioned, what does Oklahoma and Texas have? I mean, do they have amazing basketball programs? Um, not really. You know, do they have, uh, you know, a bunch of eyeballs on their television? Yeah, they do. Um, do they have pretty big revenues? Yes, both of them do. Um, do they have really, really good football with very passionate fans there? Yes, they do. So, um, again, I, we can kind of talk ourselves in circles about what does matter and what doesn't. But, you know, I just said it before. Every party has to be out for themselves. So if you're the Big Ten and you're thinking about, you know, the, the, the rumors always Kansas and Iowa State, if you would add members, you would add Kansas and Iowa State, both AAU universities, both located uh, very close to the other members, all those sorts of things. Um, but, but what are they getting out of it? You know what I mean? Like, like the, that's the question the Big Ten has to ask itself. Like, what is the Big Ten getting out of this? Is the KC TV market enough? And, you know, there's been talk about, hey, that's not as impressive as many people think it is. Uh, you know, that that adds into it. You know, is football enough? Iowa State obviously brings a really good football program at the moment, but hasn't historically been as good as it is right now. Is that enough? Um, will the revenues go up for these other schools? I mean, if you are Wisconsin and you're signing up for this and you're going to get less money out of this because Kansas and Iowa State don't draw eyeballs and their football programs aren't good enough and all this thing revolves around money, then why would you, why would you vote them in? So, Again, everybody's out for themselves, and that's why this is sort of an intriguing, fascinating thing that's happening right now. But, but that's, that's sort of the point. That's why it was a slam dunk for the SEC to, to take on Texas Oklahoma, right? I mean, the things you just mentioned that were on the top of the list was great football, great revenue, and, and will bring money into the contract. And so can Kansas and Iowa State do that same sort of thing for the Big 12 or the Pac-12 or, or, or uh, the Big 10? Uh, I, I don't know the answer to that, but again, based off of previous things, it would make them a run lower than the other teams that just left, and so uh, that's where I think a lot of the concern comes from, and that's why fans are rightfully wondering about what's going to be next for Kansas and some of these other schools out there. I guess my follow-up to that then is if Kansas becomes a bowl team in three years or two years or whatever under Lance Leipold, does that change things at all for how you think they'll be viewed? Uh, I mean, it could. Um, you know, KU has many problems with football. Um, you know, that the facilities aren't great. Uh, and when I say facilities, I specifically mean the stadium now because obviously you've seen the practice, indoor practice facility, uh, Derek, and it's, it's state-of-the-art, the weight room is fine, all those sorts of things. But uh, the stadium is going to be a huge undertaking. Uh, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's, you're sort of asking the question, how does the Big Ten view Iowa State right now? Because that's a similar situation to what KU hopes will happen under Lance Leipold is you get this this coach, he comes in, he builds his program, he does things the right way, and all of a sudden you have a team that's ranked and, and has a better outlook for the future. So uh, maybe what happens to Iowa State here is a, is a good gauge for that, but um, I would say it can help. Maybe it can't help as much as uh, many people would think it would, and Again, it also depends on how passionate the Kansas fan base comes out for football. We saw back in 2007, 2008 that they would absolutely support a winner, but it hasn't been a winner in over a decade. So um, that could kind of feed into the bottom line as well. So many things involved, but uh, I guess the answer is it's complicated, and that's sort of 
summarizes a lot of this Big 12 and, and nationwide realignment that's happening at this place, or having it at the moment right now anyway. Here's Jesse Newell. You can check out all his work in the Kansas City Star right now. He's covering all the Silvio DeSosa case as well. Jesse, thank you so much for the time, and uh, talk to you next week. All right. Sounds good, Derek. Joined now on the phone by Cole Aldridge. Here joining us as he looks ahead to the Rock Chalk Round Ball Classic. Cole, thank you so much for uh, taking some time on the phone with me. What do you view as the coolest part about uh, coming back every year for the Rock Chalk Round Ball Classic? Oh, there's so many things that I always, you know, I think this is like six of them I think I've come back for. And, you know, it's just, it's so much fun to be in the atmosphere, see all the fans, you know, help out the kids that, and the families that need help and, you know, see some of my old teammates, see some guys that, you know, I've created a relationship that I may not have played with, but it's, it's so much fun to see them, you know, over the years. Yeah, when's the last time you've seen the uh, Morris Twins? Would that have been crossing paths in the NBA? Yeah, so it probably would have been two, three years ago. Um, you know, Marcus and I were, were teammates in Houston for – real short period of time. Um, and, and, you know, seeing Keith and, you know, seeing Russ Rob come up, it's just, you know, it's, it's a, just a, a fun weekend. So what do, we, what do we got in store for you tomorrow? Are you going to play a hefty, hefty workload? And you can give us double digits. You got a dunk in you tomorrow night? <laughs> I got to be completely honest with you. I don't think I have touched the basketball in probably a year and a half almost. I'm in shape. I could, I could ride 50 miles on a bike, no problem, but running up and down the basketball court, we'll, we'll see how that goes. Hey, Cole, it's Brian Haney. How you doing, buddy? Good. How are you, Brian? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for coming back, bringing Britt with you, bringing in the baby. You're amazing. We love you so much, brother. But uh, you mentioned the bike riding. I was just in Bill Self's office earlier today, and we were marveling at this new passion of yours. You're this baller turned cyclist and he said to quote coach cole's lost a ton of weight can't wait to see his body what what he's going to look like on the floor describe it for us because we saw your frame in the nba what's your frame now well i'm 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 honestly about the same weight um you know it's just something that i've i've always kind of enjoyed biking and now i've just kind of ride every day to get away and just to have fun and you know, just I enjoy being outside, and even in the winters when it's 25 below, I'll find a way to ride my fat tire a few miles. And some days I think I'm crazy, and the other days I know I'm crazy. <laughs> and folks need to know, Cole and his family just drove 15 hours round trip to come down just for the game, and then he's got to go straight back because you've got a big race coming up this weekend. Yeah, that's well, there's a I have a hundred miles uh, on Saturday. I'm I'm debating about staying around and I'm debating about going home. So it's it's kind of up in the air. But at some point, I'm gonna I'm gonna at least get the ride in. So what's the furthest you've ever biked in consecutive order before? You know, I did a did a, a I call it a race, but it's more of a fun ride for. Uh, they have a multiple sclerosis. They call it a 150. And normally it's over two days this year. With COVID, it was just one day. So it was just shy of 75. And I think we got, we finished under four hours. 
I think we were going a little over 19 miles an hour, which was was a really, really fast pace. It was good. Do you have to get, like, a custom bike? How does that work for somebody who's seven feet tall? <laughs> I think I got the biggest bike that you could find without getting customized. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm and I'm just like slowly tweaking a few things here and there, and I'm like, oh, I I really don't want to get to that fully custom because then it then it means that I'm I'm an actually an official cyclist. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, I guess if you're uh, you're roaming the roads and you see a big seven footer on the bike, you you probably have a good chance of knowing who that is. <laughs> <laughs> you know. I, I was so close to bringing my bike down this week, and I was like, you know what? Let me take a few days off. Let me get into basketball mode. And, you know, I'm not going to I'm not gonna guarantee that there's a dunk in me tomorrow, but there might be. So with the last time you have played basketball, would that have been when you were uh, overseas in, in the Chinese Basketball League, kind of dominating there? I was looking at the stats, averaging 19 and 14. That was... That was officially the like the last time that I had kind of competitively played. Um, I was in like a real mediocre men's league for a little bit of time when my son was born in the winter, just to kind of get up and down a little bit. Um, and that ended, you know, just short of COVID. And I haven't touched a basketball since, other than on the little tight hoop. <laughs> Oh, when I think about some of my favorite round ball classic memories over the course of 13 years of doing this, I think about back when vicious Victor Ortiz was the welterweight champion of the world. He was the boxer that had the KU boxing trunks. And if you remember, he was about five feet, five inches tall on a good day. And you picked him up and put him on your shoulders and helped him dunk. And the image of that, this NBA lottery pick with a boxing champion on his shoulders dunking the ball, that's one of my all-time favorite moments. Do you remember that? Yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah, it, I mean, oh, man, that's been, that's been a long time. I, I went to uh, Victor and Floyd Mayweather's fight, actually, in Vegas. And, nice. I mean, it's crazy, you know, how far back – Round ball has gone and how so many people have been helped through the program. And, you know, it, last year was so hard not being able to, like, come together and, and to do everything that we're so used to doing. So this year now, you know, it, it's just it's really exciting to kind of get back in and see people and be able to, you know, continue to raise money for these kids. Victor probably needed your help versus Floyd Mayweather that night as well. He probably wished he could have hopped on your shoulders against Money Mayweather. I don't know if anybody could have helped that. <laughs> you said you, you played basketball most recently in a men's league. Like, like what are we talking to your competition guy-wise? Were you just, like, strolling into a rec center and there's a bunch of guys just hoping to have a good time and all of a sudden former NBA player Cole Aldridge strolls in and you just see the eyes light up like, oh, no, what did we get ourselves into here? You know, it was it, it was kind of well-vetted. My, uh, my okay. buddy, one of my best friends from high school, had played in this league for a few years. So it was, it was a lot of, like, D2, D3 kind of guys that played low-level overseas. So, you know, there were some guys that were okay. skilled. It wasn't just a... Uh, 
wasn't just like you know, me uh, walking into a gym and getting swatted eight times by you in the post. <laughs> yeah. No, there, there okay. was some competitiveness to it. You know, it was also, you know, the understanding of, yeah, we all got families. We need to go home and, you know, be in one piece. And Brian brought up some of the old Rock Chalk Round Ball Classic memories. Is there one that sticks out to you in terms of um, the game itself? Is there one performance that sat in your mind about what somebody put together? Well, I mean, what was it, a few years ago, Mario kind of, who was it, Mario and somebody else kind of went back and forth at the end of the game. Trying to think of who that was. Ben McElmore is always at the top of the scoring. Oh, yeah. I I remember the year we tried to draw draw up a recreation of Mario's miracle. They ran the play with Sharon taking it down the right sideline, flipping it to Mario near the top. And he missed the three, and Stephen Vinson, of all people, scoops up the carom and beats the buzzer, correcting the lone miss of Mario on the night. And probably the proudest moment of Stephen's Jayhawk career came in the Round Ball Classic. That was pretty special stuff. I mean, there's been so many great moments, and, you know, I'm really looking forward to, you know, kind of creating those next, those next moments we think about down the road here uh, tomorrow. Absolutely. Well, Cole, I appreciate you hopping on with us here for a few minutes and, and joining us, and uh, we look forward to seeing you at Free State High School tomorrow night. And in case you don't wind up riding those 100 miles on Saturday and you want to stay and bowl, I hear you've got some game on the bowling alley. Is that true? You know, I used to bowl when I was really, really young. Um, I haven't bowled in quite some time. <laughs> Well, I'm going to twist those big arms of yours. I'm going to twist that 7'4 <laughs> wingspan and see if we can get you to stay an extra day for the round bowl classic, all right? Awesome. Thanks, buddy. Thank you, guys. I'm, I'm looking forward to tomorrow night. Looking forward to seeing you, too. Thanks again for hopping on, man. Of course. We'll see you guys. With Brian Haney, I'm Derek Johnson, Richie Boswell. Back in studio. So what is the ticket situation? I know they were being sold at 23rd Street Brewery. Johnny's in Topeka. Are those still available? I know you have some here as well, right? And Johnny's in Olathe as well. So you're right. If you want to come out and see us and take advantage of the 25% of what you spend going to round ball at Jefferson's West and Jefferson's Downtown, definitely do that first and foremost. We want you at those locations today because that's an incredibly generous offer an opportunity that the Graham family has extended us, Brandon and Andrea, his wife, who happens to serve on our board. We've had that in the past, and it's just been Jefferson's West, so the fact that they included downtown is a really big deal. I sent my entire board the rap video of Macklemore's downtown <laughs> earlier today, and I said, I want you to play this as you drive downtown for lunch and then come west side for dinner, and after you've <laughs> double-dipped at Jefferson's and we've gotten our 25% in both places, then we'll be ready for round ball tomorrow. But, no, really appreciate the Graham family. If you come out and see me and Derek, though, for the next couple of hours, we do have 20 tickets for sale out here. Hey, if this wasn't a pediatric cancer fundraiser, I'd give them to you, but every penny goes to these three kiddos. Riley, an eight-year-old who's from Williamsburg, Kansas. We have an eight-year-old named Matthew Martin who's just outside the Kansas City area. And then an 18-month-year-old from Topeka, Briella Hayes. And these are the three kids we're fighting for. And, of course, Baby J's Legacy of Hope, which is a Lawrence-based but Kansas-covering pediatric cancer organization put on and run by the family of one of our very early beneficiaries who unfortunately passed away Gosh, it's been now eight years, I want to say, ten years, actually, 
since uh, Baby J went home to be with the Lord. But uh, they've run this organization in her name and in her memory ever since, and we'll give them 25% of what we raised this year as well because what they can do, Derek, is they can spread their money out over about two dozen other families. So we'll be able to impact a lot of kids. But tomorrow night you'll hear the stories. You'll see it up on the screen of Briella, of Riley, of Matthew. And this is really cool. Last year's Big Three for the virtual event, They got their money, but they didn't get their moment in the sun, right? So we're going to, when Hank Booth is on the PA and we got the Chicago Bulls pregame music playing and the lights are turned down, we're going to bring out last year's Big Three, too, and give them that moment of glory, you know? So that'll be really special. That'll be tomorrow night, too. So come on down. Like I said, I give away the tickets like Derek's giving away hats and, and swag out here, but we need to raise the money for these kids. So 20 tickets right now here at Jefferson's West. I think there's about 120 left at the 23rd Street Brewery. 40 left in Topeka at Johnny's Tavern on Fairlawn. And I think we're down to about 20 or 25 at the Ridgeview location in Olathe off K-10 and Ridgeview for Johnny's Tavern there. Honestly, I thought we'd be sold out, sold out by this point, but we had to hold off on tickets until the last 10 days because we've been keeping up with health and safety protocols and making sure we have the exact number that would be allowed in attendance. And if you haven't heard all the news on that, we'll be going every other row. So it's half capacity. Everybody's got a mask out of respect to our immunocompromised cancer patients and out of respect to each other. I mean, the players, just like you'd see on an NBA bench, they'll be masked when they're not in the game. Uh, The fans will all be asked to mask up. We've got temperature checks as you come in. We've got uh, hand sanitizer on every row. In fact, every group that comes in, if you're with a group of four or a group of two, you'll be given your own personal bottle of hand sanitizer. So we've done everything we can do. To, to make sure we're taking every precaution necessary but still put on a great event. I know there's been some disappointment that we won't have autographs this year, but we are going to auction off the game-used autograph jerseys as we always do. And I say auction, we're going to raffle those off. $1 raffle ticket, you might walk away with a Devontae Graham jersey, okay? So we'll still do that. I'm going to have the players sign some programs. We'll pass about. But – more than that, you also have Friday, and we've still got room for two more bowling teams on Friday. If you go to rockchalkroundballclassic.com and sign up for the Round Bowl Classic, 30 lanes, 30 celebrities, there's a VIP party afterwards, but that's a great event because the numbers will be much smaller than a basketball arena event, and with a mask on, you could get some autographs at that if you yep. get in the door. I don't want people waiting outside. So. Yeah. And uh, who knows, maybe you'll be bowling with Devontae Graham, the new $47 million man. Right. Maybe maybe uh, that'll be some cool stories there. You asked Cole about his bowling in the background. I don't know if you did that, if you knew this. I was doing some research, um, getting ready for the broadcast tomorrow, and I was looking at old you know, KU bios on the website and everything. Did you know Brandon McAnderson, I don't know if he's going to be part of the bowling event, he listed on his bio one of his favorite hobbies is bowling. Really? I did not know that. He is going to bowl. So I maybe a dark horse there. In my mind, Julian Wright and Chris mm-hmm. Tehan would be the two modern era guys to look out for. Julian famously used to always go to the old J-Bowl on mm-hmm. campus between classes and bowl. And Chris Tehan, when the team just had a bowling event you know, last season, I think we talked about this on a previous yeah, show, he bowled like a 240 or something. That's, That's crazy. ridiculous. Uh, but, of course, he can't because he's a current player, and Julian's in the big three right now. So, anyways, who's the favorite going to be now? Wayne Simeon, who's not playing tomorrow night. We're hopeful his schedule will allow him to be there Friday. 
I think he's got some mad bowling skills. I texted him earlier today. I said, Dub, if you can make it, my money's on you. And what we're going to do, Derek, since you guys will be out there, you know, it's two hours of fun bowling with the fans and all that, but we're keeping score. And the, the top fan team all gets these wood-carved trophies from Cansaw Carving, which is so cool. A guy does it with a chainsaw. But then the top two celebrity bowlers will then have a three-frame roll-off. Mm. So we're not going to stand around for ten frames. But three <laughs> frames, high stakes, everybody's gathered around. Is it Sharon versus, I don't know, it might be a football guy. Yeah. You know, it might be, uh, we got Ben Heaney coming out, former Las, uh, Los Angeles, was it Vegas Raider? No, it would have been uh, Oakland Raider at I that point. I think it was point. Oakland, yeah. Yeah. They've played in so many cities right. now, I can't keep it straight. <laughs> Former Oakland Raider Ben Heaney will be out there. It might be a football guy. versus. It might be Todd Reesing. Who, he'll be bowling. So that's on Friday night. We will have some drama to the evening, but we'll also have a lot of fundraising going on. And uh, every bowler in the 30 teams that we'll have signed up gets a free T-shirt with a brand-new round bowl logo on it. We've got uh, Johnny's Tavern presenting that event. They're catering all the food. We've got uh, pop and beer for everybody that comes out. And then the VIP thing is really cool. That's in the back. McElwain and Larry's. I know you're going to try to sneak into that when it's all said and done because that's open bar, 21 and over. He's telling some fun untold stories of KU hoops and hanging out with the fans from 8 to 9 on Friday night if you take advantage of the VIP opportunity. Yeah, some awesome events coming up. Um, as far as the red team, you have Brandon McAnderson and Ben McElmore on the team. So I think there needs to be some sort of internal competition there between Whoever, I don't know, maybe you do Ben McElmore points in the basketball game versus Brandon McAnderson uh, cut the bowling in half to determine who the real BMAC is. Exactly. I, I agree. And uh, we've got some interesting pairings there. You know, we put the, the Twins on separate teams. We put Devontae and Svi on separate teams. And there could be a special wrinkle at halftime involving those two, by the way. Wait till tomorrow. You'll hear the announcement, but we could have something special up our sleeves at halftime between Devontae and Sfi. If you think back to the last time you saw those two actually competing at something. Uh, and so we've got that going. We tried to stagger the football guys. At one point, Desmond Briscoe was going to be here. He had to drop out. So uh, we've got Derek Fine and Todd Reesing on the same team. But I was going to put Fine, Reesing, and Briscoe all on the same team and then orchestrate some kind of over-the-top deep pass play, you know, baseline out of bounds, Reesing's the inbounder, and you send Des on a fly pattern and maybe a little curl route for Define and see who he throws it to. But we, we try to stagger the football guys like that. And then this just in, the head hawk himself, Travis Goff, is going to be there. Awesome. And I, I try to get him to lace up the sneakers. <laughs> I, I think he just he's so humble. He's like, no, no, I don't want to be a celebrity. I just want to be there to support the cause. And I said, no, you're a big deal. I'm like, how's your jump shot? He said, I just want to watch. <laughs> so he'll be, we'll make him an honorary coach on both sides. We do have great coaching prowess with Norm Roberts on one staff, Curtis Townsend on the other. But we made the head coach as former players because we always do that. And it's Calvin Thompson versus Greg Dryling. And I gave these guys their rosters on Monday on a joint text thread between the three of us. And they have been doing nothing but talk trash <laughs> for 72 hours straight. Mm -hmm. And it's funny stuff, too. And, and, you know, Calvin's saying, man, Greg, 
I just looked at your roster, and I wouldn't be surprised if you don't sleep a wink between now and Thursday because my team is stacked, your team stinks. And uh, sure enough, Greg fired off the first text today, and it was like at 7 a.m., and Calvin comes back and says, see, Haney, he's clearly not sleeping if he's up at 7 a.m. And he said, 7 a.m., Calvin, have you ever had a real job? Real people get up at 7 a.m. So they've been going uh, back and this. forth all week. Former teammates, yeah. And they're going to be on your show tomorrow. That's so correct. expect the trash talk to continue, and uh, – Calvin's got Kellogg, as I know you discussed yep. in the 3 o'clock hour, so that'll be interesting. But, uh, of course, as you referenced very astutely, all his best games were always played on Saturdays. Greg's telling Calvin, man, he's not going to do anything. It's a Thursday night game. He's special on Saturday. So, so Calvin thinks that he's got something special, but Greg's not so sure since the game's being played on a Thursday. I love it. I'm looking forward to it. Question. I mentioned this earlier. It's red versus blue. Is there a reason it's not crimson as opposed to the red team? It actually is crimson. Okay. Uh, I sent you via text what we send the, the guy that prints the jerseys mm-hmm. just because it's easier to copy and paste. But <laughs> in the actual program and over the actual PA, it'll say crimson too. Okay. It's yeah. good to know. Good to know for tomorrow. All right. We're going to take a time out here. When we come back, I have some trivia from recent round ball history that we're going to quiz Brian a little bit on. Brian Haney with me. Richie Boswell back in studio. I'm Derek Johnson. We're live out at Jefferson's West. Again, come by 25% of the proceeds to the Rumble Classic. We also got some tickets for sale. We got some T-shirts to give away. So swing by, say hi to us as well. This is FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Welcome back in to Rock Chalk Sports Talk here live at Jefferson's West. You can go to the downtown location, and it's all the same. 25% of the proceeds go to the Rock Chalk Round Ball Classic. But here at the West location, you can come by, say hi. We just had Eli Loney come by. He was, I believe, a member of the uh, RCST Trivia. That feels like so long ago now. But got a T-shirt out of it, so you can swing by. Still got a couple T-shirts, hats, some koozies available that uh, you could grab if you want. And we got 20 tickets for sale here, which you can also get at the 23rd Street Brewery, Johnny's in Topeka, or uh, out at the Olathe location as well. So I have some round ball history in front of me, and I got some trivia for you. Okay. And we were talking about this a little off there. I mean, you are the busiest guy tomorrow. You are constantly running around. You're like a chicken with your head cut off because you have so many things that you're involved in. So I don't know how, how easy this is going to be for you, but I think these are pretty interesting. So the first thing that I wanted to bring up, obviously, and, and this isn't a trivia question, but I don't know if you knew this, um, Obviously, we have Greg Dryling in as the head coach facing Calvin Pony Thompson this year. But years past, we had the rivalry between Bud Stallworth and Calvin Pony Thompson. Seven hundred uh, of the seven matchups between them, there was one in 2011, and then you had them from 2014 to 2019. Of those seven matchups, total points scored. Calvin Pony Thompson's teams, 728. Bud Stallworth teams, 727. Wow, that's incredible. Absolutely. I love it that you did the math on yeah. that. Not doctored at all. I mean, that's not something that – that's like that every time Duke and North Carolina play, they'll pull up the stat where it's like last 50 games are tied up in points or something. Do you have the series history between the two? I do. Because for a while we used to joke that Bud was undefeated in this game, and it really wasn't true. He'd lost one, 
and then he kept losing, but he kept telling people he was still undefeated, and the series history was actually evening out, but if you talk to Bud, he'd be like, hey, man, you don't beat me in this game, man. And it goes back to a moment you and I just talked about off the air. There was a Scott Pollard versus Bud Stallworth year where the game was tied at the end of regulation, and rather than go to overtime, we had the two head coaches shoot free throws for sudden death. And, of course, the big guy bricks his, and the smooth-shooting small forward shooting guard strokes his in. But the best part was Bud drains the free throw and then just holds the follow-through as he turns around and walks 75 feet off the court and literally out the gym in the most swag-tastic walk-off I've ever seen. And that's, that's a great way of describing it. I mean, if Bud Stallworth was a player today in the era of NIL, I think he's one of the most marketable athletes. Oh, for sure. I mean, absolutely, absolutely great personality. But yeah, that was uh, 2012 when they beat Scott Pollard. Scott Pollard gave him, I believe, his first loss in 2013. He got revenge on him there you the go. very next year. Um, so yeah, you want to get going with this trivia? Yeah, like I said, I don't know how well I'll do. I never right. watch the games, but let's do it. <laughs> All right, do you know who the winningest coach is in terms of total wins? Total wins. I'm going to say Calvin. It's incorrect. Calvin's second with three. So Bud is Bud? first. Okay. He is six. He also has the most losses, but <laughs> <laughs> he's got the most See, I thought it was going to be a trick question. Calvin's only won three times, huh? Okay. So seven matchups between Bud and Calvin specifically. Do you know how many of those that Bud was vi- – Bud, I won't give a hint, but yeah. Four? You- yes, that is correct. Okay. He won in 2011. 2014, 2015. So at the time, he was 3-0 and against Calvin Pony Thompson. That's where the undefeated thing would have come from. But then Calvin Pony Thompson reeled off a 3 P to win 2016, yeah. 2017, 2018. Bud Stallworth won in 2019 to get that back. And then obviously last year, we had the shooting for the Stars. Um, you also have two others besides Bud Stallworth and Calvin Pony Thompson who've recorded a win as a head coach. One was Scott Pollard, who we just talked about in 2013. Do you know who the other coach is? <laughs> I'm not sure I could even remember. This I was... can give you the year. Well, I, I could probably come up with the year. Mm-hmm. This would have been very early, right? 2010. So I yeah, believe second so year, right? Second year. Yeah. Gosh, I'm trying to think who we even had back that year. You know, the game initially, we'd have 16 total celebrities and and in a non-pandemic year, we'd have 55. This year, we're going to have 33. Crazy how things have blown up. Um, but, yeah. What's his name begin with? You want the first name? or the? Well, I assume this is the first name. I know the last name. I would just assume the last name begins with an M, as in Marshmallow. Okay. Was Roger Morningstar? No. That's a good guess, though. Uh, it is a former point guard. At Kansas in the early 2000s. Oh, did Aaron Miles coach that it's year? Team Miles, I would assume. Yeah, that's so Aaron Miles. Yeah, he was rehabbing a knee that year, and he wasn't sure he was going to be able to play. Mm-hmm. And I think he ended up getting on the court a little bit as like a player <laughs> slash coach. coach. But because it was a questionable situation, and he was a huge name at the time, still is all-time assist leader. But he was more recently removed from his career. We said, well, let's call it Team Miles. You'll be the player coach. And so, yeah, I forgot that that he was in the mix that year. Yeah. And do you know the only other coach? He only appeared in one as the head coach. He lost to Team Stallworth in the inaugural edition 2009. Do you know who that would have been? Man. Geldner? It was Team Ritchie. So Patrick I don't know if that Ritchie, was... okay. Yeah. Isn't this terrible? The event director can't even remember. We, <laughs> no, you know I, you've had a great event when it's <laughs> been 13 years and it's so right. long you can't remember. Right. It's like, it's like naming, you know, 
off the top of your head, can you name all the Big 12 or all the All-Americans under Bill Self? There's so many. You just. <laughs> but now, you know, it's, it's fun to see over the years we've had, I think now, 107 different participants. Uh, and when you look at all the different All-Americans, all the different national champions, all the different Big 12 champions, of course, that's everybody in the mm-hmm. Bill Self era. Uh, it's a pretty illustrious list. And we're going to do something tomorrow night on the floor involving how many McDonald's All-Americans have played in the game because McDonald's of Lawrence and the Dobsky's family are going to be giving us a nice check tomorrow night, and Sharon will be out there for the presentation, so stay tuned for that. But it is neat a decade and a half later to look back and see all the different personalities, all the different eras. I mean, we talk about going back to the Larry Brown era, but we've had Ted Owens era guys all the way back to Walt Wesley circa 1966 and Ted Owens himself, you know. So it's been neat to have that type of influence. I remember back when Max Falkenstein was still alive, he was out there. We've had sports center personalities like Neil Everett get in the game and score points. So it, it's been neat to see. We've had two different Survivor contestants play. Uh, so that's fun. Danny Boatwright being one and Scott Pollard the other. And uh, the list goes on and on. But uh, one of these days we're going to get Rob Riggle out there. He's kind of the big white whale yeah. we keep trying to get. And I know he's got games. So if we could just ever work it out with his schedule, I'd love to see Riggle trying to post up on Cole. And by the way, oh, wow. uh, I, I should mention this. I said Riggle posting up on Cole. Mm-hmm. I was just texting with Gary Woodland last night about how mm. if Gary would have stayed in town this week, because mm-hmm. you know he lives here now, right. he was going to – think about playing and i could read you the text directly he said he was going to dunk all over cole now they're good friends <laughs> i love that they're good I friends and, and i think his wife and baby are actually going to sit with cole's wife and baby at the game tomorrow so it's trash talk amongst mm-hmm. friends but you remember gary played at washburn yeah and it was a re- really good basketball player funny story my wife she actually grew up her neighbor is gary woodland's cousin okay and after they won or he won the u.s open uh, she saw like a Snapchat or something from her neighbor that they were playing Wii Golf with Gary and the cousin, and he lost. So as a losing bet, he let his cousin drink a beer or something out of the U.S. Nice. Open jug. Nice. <laughs> which everybody wants to do. Which right, makes right. me think, you talk about in a disease-plagued era yeah, that we're yeah. currently living in. Yeah, this in. was a couple years ago. Yeah. So, yeah. But the point is... Uh, at some point, he's going to play. He's donated to the cause for years, Gary Woodland has. Some year, when he takes a weekend off from the tour, we're going to get him out there, and he's talking major game like he's not just going to put up a couple of shots. He's going to try to posterize somebody inside. And I'm just curious if mid-30s, can he still get up and hang on the rim? We'll see. Well, see, I, I mean, he's got to be in good shape just in terms of athletically. But I, I want that to happen. I, I was telling BMAC, Brandon McAnderson, I guess we got to clarify now, uh, last week, I was saying, hey, I want to see you steal the ball from, you know, uh, some play like Cole Aldridge or something. Or I want to see you post up on Cole Aldridge and show off a hook shot or something. He was like, I'm just trying not to embarrass myself. I want to see somebody like that kind of go at it. And, totally. uh, obviously, you don't want anybody playing aggressively or injuries or anything like that. But um, The yeah. last guy to hit a running hook shot in my memory was actually Todd Reising, which really? was amazing to see at 5'9". And I can't remember who he hit it over, but it was like, whoa. And he had a ball on the string type, like behind the back moves, and it's like, 
this dude from you know Austin, Texas can flat out ball. So he's coming up here tomorrow, flying in the day of the game, planning on making some headlines. And I also know Todd's going to go to football practice for Coach Leipold on Friday, which is special. So you love to see these guys that maximize the time that they're back in town and do some other things to, to pour back into the current team as well. Very cool. All right, I got one more trivia thing for you. Since oh. I'm doing so well, I, no, I think you're. I think you're above 500 here. Uh, I have from 2017, 2018, 2019. I was able to go back into the LJ world and find the box scores and compile the numbers. So I have the top five scorers dating back to the 2017 Rock Chalk Round Ball Classic. Can you name any of the five? Any of the five? Yeah, we'll do this like a. Oh, what is that? Family feud, you know? Is, you get... this, is this average or cumulative? Nope, this is cumulative. Because yes. what you have to take into account is, like, Devontae played one year, right. didn't play the next year. No, this is total points. Yeah, it's yeah. It's all adding up. See, that's tough because certain guys have been every other year guys. Like, Macklemore, I'd say, is definitely up there. He's number one. Yeah. So there you go. He comes every year. And here's, here's the biggest reason I bring this up. I just find this very entertaining. Ben McElmore over that span has 126 points, which is 42 points per game. Second, 42 points per, per game, per game. Second on this list has 41 total. Really? Yes. Tyrell, is he up there? And these are these are guys who um, are playing in this I should clarify, yeah. playing in this year. Sure. So, like, Frank, I think, put up 30, 40 points. But right. Not playing this year, so he's not Did Tyrell make the top five? He did. He's yeah. tied fifth. With Mario Little. There was one each. year, like seven, eight years ago, he had 38. Whew. And so he, he can still fill it up. I think he, he had 16 or 18 yeah. in 2018, I want to okay. say. Yeah. And, and I just don't know, because Mario Little missed a Second, year in there. Second, third, and fourth. Well, Mario Little is tied fifth with Tyrell. Okay. Yeah. Second, third, and fourth are all Bill Self point guards from the late 2000s, early 2010s. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Very good. So Tyshawn, yep. Elijah... Um, not Russell. The big one. Fifth no. all time at KU in scoring. Fifth all time, Sharon. Yeah, there you yeah, go. Yeah, very good. Elijah's you know, forty-one. Tyshawn thirty-eight. Because Sharon didn't get as much PT last time. Mm-hmm. And what's funny is, and I won't dive into this a ton, but like, if you wonder if these guys take this seriously, they do. <laughs> and to the point where we had a situation where players weren't obeying one of the particular coaches on substitutions and that kind of thing. They were just, like, coming in and out, and the coach was trying to actually coach a win in the last four minutes of the game, and they were subbing themselves out. And to be honest, there were some words exchanged. And I found out about it after the fact. Like, um, as you said, I'm setting up tables for autographs and stuff like that. I missed out on it. But, like, everybody wants to win to the point where it got a little contentious, and the coach wanted to put a certain guy in, and the other guy said, nope, these are the guys we're going to go with. And so, to be honest with you, We've had to stack the lineups this year to make sure that the certain coaches with certain players and all this stuff, because these guys really want to win. They take it seriously. All right, we're going to take another break. When we come back, I want to get more in the process of how you kind of put the the rosters together and and some more stuff about the round ball classic. We're out of Jefferson's West with Brian Haney. I'm Derek Johnson, Richie Boswell back in studio. Again, swing by. If you're about to get off work at 5 o'clock, come by. You can buy your tickets to the Rock Truck Round Ball Classic. You can pick up a free RCST T-shirt. we got some hats, koozies as well. Again, Jefferson's West, but either location for Jefferson's, 25% of the proceeds to the Rock Truck Round Ball Classic. I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. 
Did you know the number of Americans with a primary care provider are declining? Our primary care providers are ready to walk with you on your health journey and advocate for your needs. Having a yearly check-in with your primary care provider can help address your medical questions and get you back on track with your health care goals. Welcome back again. We're at Jefferson's West. 25% of the proceeds to the Round Ball Classic. I'm Derek Johnson, Richie Boswell in studio. Voice of the Jayhawks, Brian Haney with me. Still got some tickets for sale out here. Still some tickets for sale at 23rd Street Brewery, too, if you're going to be around there. We'll be here till 6 o'clock. At least I will. I don't know if Brian's going to hang around longer. But if you get off work or about to get off work here, swing by. We might have a T-shirt for you, depending if uh, you get here in time. So the Crimson team versus the Blue team. And as I look at it, you know, I think it was cool that you split up the Morris Twins. We talked about that last week. It looks like to me that the Blue team, you could have some really elite shooters with Devontae Graham and Ron Kellogg specifically, among some other guys, whereas the red team, Tyshawn Taylor, Elijah Johnson, shooters as well, but they're more of like the, the slashing guards. But they have Ben McElmore, who is that shooter. So I, I think there should be a good balance between the two. How do you go about typically putting together these rosters? Is this you and somebody else in the organization who you guys are just like kind of drafting back and forth or absolutely that's exactly what we do uh we've got a guy named michael mead who does all of our graphics and uh design work so when you see the really cool posters and the tickets and the player announcement images that we have on instagram and facebook and twitter that's all michael mead he's a topeka guy lifelong jayhawk fan and every year much like you guys have your draft on rcst we draft the rosters, the two of us, and, and we bet a steak dinner on it. You know, we grill out at each other's houses. Who has to cook? And uh, I've got him three years in a row. Mm. But this year, just based on some late roster fluctuation, he may have the edge. And, and you look at it, uh, we lost Greg Ostertag due to a family situation that popped up this week for Ostertag. Darnell Jackson ended up getting recruited to play. Uh, in, in the summertime big three event and so we lost him and so some of this has fluctuated a little bit but we always even in in the draft mode we try to competitively disperse to where if he takes a football player i take a football player you're not going to take all the centers so that exactly yeah, yeah that, that wouldn't be fair i'm not going to say well this year my team's going to design its offense on the high low and you're going to get five chuckers and they're <laughs> yeah. just going to run down and launch threes we don't do that because we really want competitive balance because if you think about it what, what makes for the most entertaining night it's a neck and neck last second type scenario who's going to win and so we do a pretty good job but i'll be interested to see because um you know, we've got a couple situations where we're curious how many minutes certain guys are going to log uh, based on contract stipulations that, uh, not with us, but right. they're trying to sign their NBA contracts. So we're curious how many minutes will they go for the full 40? Will they just log 15? We just don't know. But I think they're pretty evenly balanced. I think we did a good job of balancing youth versus, let's say, middle age. And uh, we also, you know, while there's three female players, we tried to stack them in a way where you've got some impact on all sides. And I think Daniel McRae might be a wild card in this. I mean, she's a former lottery pick. She's still in great shape. She was a huge star internationally. I think she comes in and, and finds a way to hit multiple shots and is a big difference maker for the Crimson squad. So we'll see. But Ben McLemore, as you know, is always a, a highlight reel guy. He'll be opposite of Devontae Graham. We put it that way on purpose. We also made sure to put Svi on the other side so you'd have some back and forth between those two. But then for me, 
I think, you know, Marcus might have the edge on Markeith. Mm. You know, Markeith just got the new contract with the Heat. He's probably still fat and happy over that. Marcus, on the other hand, you know, his brother's got the world championship ring. He's got his number hanging in the rafters. Marcus does. They each have a different feather in their cap. My money's on Marcus to outscore Markeith tomorrow night, but who knows? It, it could be neck and neck. Well, and I know me and Richie are listening astutely just because we're going to be doing our points draft tomorrow night. I think McCray's a very interesting one. Like you said, I mean, uh, I'm looking here. She almost had 2,000 points, averaged 20 a game her last two years at KU. Highest selection in the WNBA draft, which, I mean, there were some really famous historic players in the KU women's basketball program. Now, obviously, when, like, Lynette Woodard was here, it doesn't apply for their WNBA. You're not drafted, but... I mean, getting picked seventh overall in the WNBA shows off kind of your skills there. Mm-hmm. I kind of think that the sleeper pick for me is probably, and I don't want to give up too much to Richie here who's listening, but Mario Little. I, I've seen this guy play internationally. I've seen him play in the basketball tournament when that was happening. Um, I've seen him play in this before. I, I don't think we really ever got to see what a full Mario Little was in college at KU because he was dealing with a lot of injuries and he was kind of on a team that was so loaded roster-wise that he was asked to play maybe a little bit different role that he fulfilled well, but that dude can, can fill it up, and I think I like him as kind of a sleeper pick. He had 30-plus points one year in a round ball classic, and as you alluded to, prior to coming to Kansas, he was a junior college All-American. He was the most sought-after JC guy on the board that year and uh, you know, really developed close relationships with the Morris Twins and all the guys on that team. But as you said, there were too many mouths to feed for him to – average a ton of points or minutes but he's gone on to international stardom he still plays he's in great shape he lives in la now and uh he takes this very seriously it's funny sometimes it comes down to motivation who wants it more you know and while everybody's competitive i think sometimes for the second tier celebrity player like kevin young in this game Mm -hmm. six seven years ago had literally 12 dunks, and nobody wanted to get in the way, and he was trying that much harder than everybody else. You know, it was just kind of like, put your hand up on defense, and he's dunking on you. So a guy like Mario Little is going to have the want-to factor, as Roy Williams used to say, way more than maybe a Devontae Graham, who just got his $47 the other day, and he's still going to want to put on a show, but at the same time, he's got bigger fish to fry. Mario's going to be out there trying to make a headline, you know? Yeah, what about uh, the group of, I guess, 40 and overs? I don't know who all would classify that. Billy Thomas. Um, yep. I believe that Ron Kellogg that go in there. He's the 55 and over category yeah. for Kellogg. I mean, is there somebody in the 40-year-old? Or I, I don't know. Jeff Graves, I think, would probably be right around yep. there. He's right around there. Somebody in there you think would be a good kind of sleeper pick? Jeff and I, Graves, have been texting for the last couple of months about this, and at no point have I ever asked... How's the gravy train looking? Is, yeah. Are you carrying some extra engines on the back uh-huh. of that locomotive now? <laughs> you know, how big is the big gravy? Uh-huh. Uh, but he says he's going to play, and, and I would imagine he'll log 8 to 10 minutes, and I wouldn't want to get in the way of him. So you know, it may not be rim and dunks, but if he catches on the block, unless Marquee for you know, somebody else is going for a block, I'm looking at the rosters here, you know, he's got uh, – Cole Aldrich on his team, so he didn't have to worry about Cole. Clay Young could be playing in the post. We saw him, Syracuse game. Sure. 
Uh, so I, I think Jeff could score some points. But of the of the older guys, the one with the most to prove and the most incentive you opened the show with today, and that's obviously Special K, Ron Kellogg. And if he, at 58 years old, hits multiple shots, that right there to me is a sidebar story for Matt Tate or, or uh, Gary Bedore or whoever. The fact that, A, he's willing to play at that age, B, is still in good enough shape to get out there, but then C, did that against five current NBA players. And I know he touched on this a little bit with you, but he was texting me earlier today because he lives in New Orleans now. He said, man, I'm so excited. Pelicans just got Devontae. Now I can finally teach that kid how to really shoot. (laughs) And I laughed at that because obviously they're both all-time greats, but Devontae, you know, very high in the record books. He is Brian Haney. I'm Derek Johnson, Richie Boswell in studio. We'll be back for more one hour to go at Jefferson's West on Rock Chalk Sports Talk, FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Curtis Townsend on the phone with us here, Kansas basketball assistant coach. KT, thank you so much for joining us here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Uh, do you already have any like out-of-bounds plays or, or special sets drawn up for the game tomorrow night? Well, I, I got a really good one uh, that uh, especially full court, out of bounds, can't run. We got Todd Reesing. You probably saw us run it during the year. Just put uh, all five guys on the baseline and let them run some uh, some uh, wide receiver routes out there and just let Reesing throw it to one of those guys. So, yeah, we definitely love got it. that in the repertoire. I love it. The catch radius on Ben McLemore or a Morris twin would be the best that Todd's ever had to throw to. Uh, yeah, I, I could, I could definitely see that. Uh, you know, Mario Little wouldn't be terrible either. But, but Brady Morningstar and Tyrell Reed probably a little too slow. <laughs> Are there any uh, side bets between? Obviously, your fellow assistant coach Norm Roberts is on the other sideline. Any side bets between you two with the winning team? You know, uh, due to NCAA rules, we're not allowed to bet, but there may be some push-ups involved, and, and Norm works out hard, so he could do way more than I can. So I hope my team could beat them. <laughs> is, is there a player on, your, on the other team that's keeping you up on, at night about how you guys are going to try to stop him? Seeing as how I just texted him the roster 10 minutes ago, I don't think he's lost too much sleep. <laughs> Well, you know what? Yeah, I just found out. So, but but seriously, uh, trying to think how we're going to stop Danielle McRae. I remember how many points she scored here on the women's team, and then and then obviously uh, Elijah's wife Natalie is is going to give me fits trying to figure out, and then to see if if Markeith and and his brother Marcus are going to be playing. Uh, uh, brother-in-law ball and uh, letting each other score that would probably keep me up at night so between russell robinson and marcus morris those are both guys on your team which of those two have more memorable practice stories from when they were with you guys at ku oh marcus, oh, marcus. morris by long shot no <laughs> doubt I, I i remember him telling us he didn't come here to run track when coach put him on the line and, um <laughs> So there was a lot of we had to, to talk him uh, off the ledge a few times for how much we had to run because most of the time we were running because of him, uh, but he didn't he didn't he didn't believe he should have ran or the team should have ran because of him. So uh, it was definitely uh, Marcus Russell was a pretty good pretty good leader pretty uh, good soldier as far as that goes. Yeah, I think the the stories I ever heard about Russell Robinson weren't about. 
you know, things like like what you just mentioned with Marcus, they were more so just about how competitive he was and how fiery he was that he would kind of fire back at you guys. Oh, no doubt. He he would not, when we say, hey, Russell, we're just walking through stuff. He didn't know how to walk through. He, he wanted to make sure he stole the ball, even though we told him exactly what player we're running, we're looking for. Oh, he'd fight through the screen and steal the ball and just screw up the whole practice and, and uh, yeah, get mad at us because we're working on something offensively. Coach, I know you had a chance to take a family vacation this weekend, but when you saw – so many guys coming back. You said, I'm not going to miss that opportunity to see my guys. And that, that's so special. It speaks to the family culture and environment that Coach Self and you guys have created over the years. I'm curious, while you love all these guys, uh, are there a handful of them that were specific Curtis Townsend recruits where you were the lead guy and you heard, oh, he's coming to Lawrence. i got to make sure I see him this weekend. Yep, most of those guys that were mine, they they called like Ben called and and uh, and and uh, Steve called me and obviously Sharon and Mario Little and so when those guys told me, hey coach, you gonna be around? I, I definitely had to make it. And then the other reason, Brian, is what you do for these kids is such a great cause. And, uh, every time I've been to one guy, I end up. I know I'm getting old because I end up crying by halftime. So, um, you know, it's a, it's, it's a great thing you do for these families, and uh, it's the most important thing. And I think that's why those guys come back because uh, they know how much it means to those families. But, but you know what? For you to get those guys back here, um, you know, like the Morris twins, I don't think they've been back for one yet. It's uh it's a big deal, and, and uh, if I could ever be around, I, I wouldn't miss it for anything. Yeah, and I know a lot of the players have mentioned that in the past, that it's not just a cool event with everything going on, and that being the most important with the proceeds to all these families, but it's cool just to get to come back and see some of your former teammates or see guys from generations before you who donned the same uniforms you did and, and kind of chat with them and stuff. Is there any players that – maybe you haven't seen in a little bit that you're looking forward to reconnecting with this week? You know what? It's just, it's, yeah, I, there's a lot of them. But uh, I ran into Billy Thomas at the airport the other day, saw his beautiful family taking a, or, or going down to Florida for something. And, uh, but, but, you know, guys like Clay Young and Stephen Vincent, who, who maybe don't get as much uh, – limelight as those other guys those guys worked so hard and gave their heart and soul to this program uh and like you just said the fact that it's a family and they all know they all sweat and and set a standard for all the teams to come after them uh it, it means a lot to me to to and i haven't seen those guys in a while and just for them to be here uh it'll be it'll be good to see everybody but uh, those guys that didn't get the limelight like those big stars did, for them to still come around, I think, uh, shows you a lot how much uh, it meant uh, to them to be a part of something way bigger than themselves. You mentioned with Clay Young, and I just think back to his last year, and there were a couple games early in the year when maybe your roster was a little thinner due to injury or whatnot and he was having to play i think back to that syracuse game when he played i think yeah. 12 yeah. minutes or so and they had i believe like a seven footer uh, i can't remember the kid's name but yeah i mean that just made me think if he was able to hold his own in a game like that how frustrating did he make it uh kind of defensively on some of the other guys in practice day to day 
Well, he, he, he tried so hard. And, you know, we did, you mentioned that Syracuse game. We played it down in Miami. We don't win that game without play. Uh, we put him in the middle of that big zone, and he made some passes. And, you know, obviously Devontae got hot there late. But he made some unbelievable passes and plays that we were like, God, we can't take him out. We better hope Clay doesn't get in foul trouble. And uh, But they did. They had some big guys in and those guys, him, Stephen Vincent, those guys brought it every day in practice. That was kind of their games. And to see a kid like that that worked so hard, even Stephen Vincent started some games here uh, his senior year. But for them to get in and see him have success and you know how hard they tried and they weren't the big-name recruits that came in, it's it's like that's some of the funnest times and you can see the bench going crazy when they score because they all want them to do good well said well from the unsung heroes to the well-paid heroes three guys in tomorrow's game just got paid brand new deals from markeith and ben mclemore and Devonte graham 47 million reasons to smile is the first round on those guys on thursday night after all you did for them over the years well, I, I hope so. I'd already, I called Devontae that next day and asked him for a loan, but he, he said whatever you need, which I know that means no. So, um, but no, that, I'm, I'm so happy for him. And, and you, even the Morris twins, they've made a lot of money in their career. For him to be going to Miami where I heard they got a, they got a place, they bought a place out in Florida, so he'll be closer to home. But I wonder how that'll work with those two being on opposite sides of the, uh, country you know um but but i'm sure they'll figure it out but i'm i'm happy for all those guys uh you know it just when they could get a new deal and and everybody's happy for them we got a lot of guys playing in summer league right now like frank you know trying to uh, get a spot and and then you got Doak who's doing great I, I know brian i know your thing would be Big time if that summer league uh, wasn't going on. It is already big time, but you'd have even more guys here uh, if that thing wasn't going on right now. No doubt. Absolutely. Hey, Derek, I've only got one more question for Coach. I'm curious about this. You always have Bill Selfs here on the sideline. You work so well in concert together when you've got an idea or something to implement. Is it going to be as easy whispering something toward Calvin Pony Thompson, or does he just have his own way of doing things? What are you anticipating with the coaching chemistry there? Well, you know what? I think Calvin will just uh, do whatever he wants. I know he's just going to want the guys to have fun. And it'll probably be the same thing as when I, uh, you know, suggest something to coach. He'll probably just blow me off. So that'll be fine. I'll probably just get on the wraps like I do every now and then. There you go. Absolutely. All right, I got one more for you, Coach. Uh, we're we're going to do like a points draft tomorrow on our show where we just, we're drafting players and whoever amongst us accumulates the most points wins. Is there any insider trading you can give me here about guys you think are going to score a lot of points on your team? Well, I say my money would have to be on DePonte just because they're going to shoot a lot of threes tomorrow, I think. So I would say I would say Devontae would be the guy on our team or Marcus Morris and, and I don't know if Mario Little but if Mario Little's in good shape, uh, he'd be able to put up some points too. Well coach, thank you so much for the time. I appreciate you hopping on here and we look forward to seeing you on the sidelines tomorrow night for the Rock Chalk Round Ball Classic. Have a good rest of your day and see you tomorrow, man. Okay, thanks, fellas. Thanks so much, coach. You're the best. 
No problem, buddy. Shit.